we'll turn with you in your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians. Philippians in the chapter 2. We're going to take time to consider verses 5 to 11 this afternoon, but we'll read from the start of the chapter just to get a little bit of context. So we'd like to speak to you under the title, My Example is He. My Example is He. Philippians chapter 2. And we're reading from the verse 1. This will be the last time <coughs> the Lord's will that we look at Philippians this side of the year. And God willing, over the next four weeks, which four Sundays, we're going to do a little series which we're calling Songs of the First Christmas. And we're just going to hit the pause button in Philippians and then the run into Christmas. Consider some of the songs we're sang in the Gospel of Luke um, and the run into Christmas. So that's four Sundays. And then the fifth Sunday is Christmas Day, which you believe. Um, so that will be over the next few weeks but it's an amazing place I didn't plan this that we're actually going to be having the pause button in Philippians because these verses are all about the Lord Jesus leaving the splendour of heaven and coming down as God incarnate and so it really just set up our little series for the next few weeks Philippians chapter 2 please and the first one if there be therefore any consolation in Christ any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, so fill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one man. Let nothing be done through strife or being glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the, there in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every knee, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ <coughs> is Lord. Joseph Ernest Renan, a French historian of the 1800s, said this, Let the greatest surprises of the future come. But never has arisen, nor never shall ar there arise another like Jesus Christ. Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50 years, Aristotle for 40 years, and the Lord Jesus only for three years. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the combined 130 years of teaching from the men that are considered among the world's greatest philosophers, Jesus Christ is Lord. 
The Lord Jesus, he painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael and Leonardo da Vinci and many others received their inspiration from him. Jesus Christ is Lord. The Lord Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, and scores of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus Christ is Lord. The Lord Jesus composed no music. Still Haydn and Handel and Beethoven and Bach exalted him in their symphonies. Jesus Christ is Lord. The Lord Jesus never wrote a book, but hundreds and thousands of volumes have been written about him. His words have been translated into more than 1,000 languages and dialects. Jesus Christ is Lord. The Lord Jesus raised no army. There was no one but those who, but there are those who fight for his works and his principles and causes that are found within scripture. Jesus Christ is Lord. The pages of history are filled with the blood of those who died for him. Wars have been fought, fought. thrones have been abdicated because of him. Throughout centuries, his name has been above every other name. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his truth has changed and transformed individuals and communities and cities and nations and continents. Jesus Christ is Lord. Charles Lamb once wrote, if Shakespeare walked into a room, we would stand. If the Lord Jesus walked into a room, we would bow. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now this statement, Jesus Christ is Lord, is one of the greatest and most sublime phrases we find in this passage of the Bible. In fact, this statement is found written behind our pulpit here in this church building. We sit in this afternoon, Jesus Christ is Lord. We affirm it. We declare it. Because Jesus Christ is Lord and we proclaim it and we will proclaim it until our dying breath. He is higher than the highest. He is greater than the great. No one will take his crown away. He's more mighty than the mightiest. Jesus Christ is Lord. Dr. F. B. Meyer writes of this section found in Philippians, in the whole range of scripture, this paragraph stands in almost unapproachable and unexampled majesty. The passage before us is deep. It's majestic. In many ways, it's both overwhelming and unfathomable. Not even the best preacher or order will ever be able to fully explain the truths that are found in this passage. And certainly we would agree that this text that we're dealing with this afternoon is found amongst the most important and glorious in all of the New Testament. And as we approach the Christmas period, it describes the condescension of the second person of the Trinity into human incarnation, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we consider this passage in the study of the Greek language, it was a hymn. Very likely these verses would have been sung as a hymn in the early church. And no other New Testament passage so completely describes in its presentation the event of God becoming a man. Theologians actually call this passage the Christological gem or a Christological diamond that sparkles brighter than many other places in the New Testament. It's unparalleled as it describes God becoming man. 
But listen carefully. As strong as it is theologically, and as profound as it is theologically, and as unfathomable as it is theologically, this passage, in first and foremost, is for our learning. It has to do with motivation for Christian living and finishes Paul's exhortation for church unity, serving one another. And from verse 5, it's more than just facts of theology, as it's actually more so to do with Christ being our very example. And that's why we're speaking under this title, My Example is Day. And in order to feel the strength of Paul's hymn, let's see four lessons that we can learn from the Lord Jesus Christ on humility and Christian service. Indeed, he is our example to follow. My example is he. What can we learn? Well, firstly, what I want you to see is he thinks of others and not himself. Let's begin with verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul's been encouraging the Philippian church to be united, not to quarrel. He told them in verse 3, let each esteem each other better than themselves. And now he turns to the greatest example of humility that there ever was. Christ left heaven to be manifest in flesh. Christ relinquished his place. And Paul, in writing to Timothy, wrote this, we assign this truth in our opening hymn today. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. I wonder, did you know, that there's no recorded birth in Scripture after the birth of the Lord Jesus? I wonder, did you know, that the last genealogy or family tree listed in the New Testament was that of the Lord Jesus? Why is that? Because the entire Bible, from Genesis to Malachi, pointed to the birth and name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, in this passage, he doesn't give us details about Christ's birth. He leaves that to Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke, they look at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ historically. They look at it as a historical event, but Paul gives us the theological truth of it. For beginning at verse 6, he takes us back behind the curtains of eternity and shows us what took place before Christ was born. He says, verse 5, let this mind be you, which is also in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who being in the form of God. <coughs> if anyone had the right to be self-centered, it was Jesus Christ. He had, he had existed throughout eternity. The word used here for being, it occurs 59 times in the New Testament, and every time it's a reference to prior existence. And if we are to understand the greatness of Christ's sacrifice, we must try to understand the lofty position that he held before he came to this earth, before he was made man. Not only had Christ existed eternally, but he had existed eternally as God. Paul leaves us in absolutely no doubt. He begins by telling us that Jesus Christ was and is unalterably and unchangeably God. He was, is, and ever will be God. Paul says that he existed in the form of God. This phrase is not a reference to the outer appearance of Christ, but indicates a profound and genuine inner identity. Jesus Christ was not simply like God. He was the very nature and substance of God. All that God is, Jesus Christ was and is and ever will be. To say that Jesus was in the form of God is just saying that Jesus was God. 
every once in a while in the journey of life, you'll meet someone who tries to convince you that the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus was God. But the Bible consistently affirms what Paul is teaching here in Philippians. John chapter 14 verse 9, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Colossians 1 verse 15, He, the Lord Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him, Christ, all fullness should dwell. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, and then it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You know, the verse, is, the verse here in verse 6 of our passage, it goes on and it says, Christ thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus did not think of himself, uh, of himself above others. His outlook and his attitude was that of unselfish concern for others. This is the mind of Christ. It is to say, I cannot keep my privileges for myself. I must use them for others, and to do this, I will gladly lay them aside and pay whatever price is necessary. There was a reporter who was being interviewed. A reporter was interviewing a successful job counsellor who had placed hundreds of workers into new jobs quite happily. When asked the secret of his, of his success, the man replied, if you want to find what a worker is really like, don't give them responsibilities, give them privileges. Most people can handle responsibilities if you pay them enough. But it takes a real leader to handle privileges. A leader will use his privileges to help and to build up others. A lesser man will use privileges to promote himself. The Lord Jesus saw my need, saw your need, saw our sin, and he used his heavenly privilege to descend to the sin-sick world and to die for you and to die for me. Let this mind be in you. I wonder, dear child of God, today, do you place other needs before your own? We expect unsafe people to be selfless, but we don't expect this of Christians. They've experienced the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit. More than 20 times in the New Testament, God instructs us on how to live with one another. We're to prepare one another. Romans 12, verse 10. We're to edify one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. We're to bear one another's burdens. Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. We should not judge one another, Romans 14, verse 13, but rather admonish one another, Romans 15, verse 14. Warren Wearsby says, Others is the key word in the vocabulary of the Christian who exercises the submissive mind. Others. Our Saviour, he thought of others, not himself, and left the splendour of heaven and came to this sensitive world for you. And for me, he thought of others not himself, but also he serves. Look at the verse, it says, But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He made himself of no reputation, verse 7. This is more clearly translated as this, He emptied himself. He emptied himself. 
Now we must be very careful. Christ did not empty himself of his deity. Nor did he exchange deity for humanity. Christ emptied himself not by ceasing to be what he was, God, or by assuming something he was not before man. He, he was fully God, and he was fully man. He, he was not all God and no man. He was not, not all man and no God. He was not half God and half man. The Lord Jesus was fully God and fully man. How completely our Lord Jesus conformed to man inwardly and outwardly is seen in three expressions here, found in these verses. The form of a servant, it says, and then it says, secondly, the likeness of man, and thirdly, it says, he came in fashion as a man. The word form in verse 7 is the same used in verse 6, and it denotes the very essence of humanity. The reality of Christ's humanity is seen in the Gospels because of our Saviour, we read that he was hungry, when we read that he fell asleep. We read that he was weary with the journey. What a mystery. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was veiled in flesh. Christ became man. Now that's challenging. You say, I wonder if you ever noticed as you read the four Gospels that it is the Lord Jesus who served others, not others who served the Lord Jesus. He was at the beck and call of all kinds of people. Fishermen, harlots, tax collectors, the sick, the sorrowing. We read it in Matthew 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the upper room, when his disciples apparently refused to minister, the Saviour arose, God incarnate arose, laid aside his outer garments, put on a long linen towel, and he washed their feet. He took the place of a slave. But there's something else that we can learn from his humanity. As the perfect man, he experienced all that we have experienced apart from sin. Therefore, he can help us in the trials of life. Dear child of God, today are you facing temptation? The Lord knows all about it. For he was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Are you suffering today? He knows all about it. For we're told that Christ suffered also for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Are you facing disappointment today? In Matthew 23 and verse 37, we read, we, excuse me, Hebrews 4, 15, we read, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was it all points tempted like us? Were you yet without sin? Are you facing disappointments at home? School, the family, the business? Christ knows all about it. He came to serve. He came in human form, fully God, fully man. What a mystery. What a great mystery. What a great savior. He came down and he served. But he thinks of others from himself. Secondly, he serves. Thirdly, he sacrifices. I wonder, can you see how far down the Savior was willing to go? He left the splendor of heaven. His God, he took on human flesh, laying aside his glory, served others selflessly while here on earth. This was God, the eternal God. Such humility, but he went even lower than that. Because we read in verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. 
Even the death of the cross. He became obedient unto death. He went below just working alongside men. He went down further than that. How low did the Savior go? He became obedient to the point of death. He went so low that he was willing to die for men. Now this is the epitome of humiliation. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man may die in his life for his friends. He didn't have to die. He volunteered. No man took his life from him. He gave it up. It was an undeserved death. And it was de the death of a humble person. He went all the way down to die for you and me. And you say, why did he do that? Because that was the only way in which sinful man could be saved. Because there was no way to deliver us from sin apart from death. Since the wages of sin is death, somebody had to die. And since God required a sacrifice, someone had to be that sacrifice. And if he was to help man truly, he had to come as a man and die as a man. The God-man went to Calvary and he took man's place and undeservedly bore the penalty of your sin and mine. Humility this is. You see, it goes even further than that. What a moment this is. Well, how far did he go? Yes, to the point of death. But there was a final step down. A final run down in the ladder. Because look at the last little phrase here in verse 8. Even the death of the cross. The death on the cross was shameful. Christ didn't die an ordinary death. He died the death of a common everyday criminal. Crucifixion wasn't just a barbaric way of carrying out capital punishment. It was designed to bring total humiliating shame on the person being crucified. The Lord Jesus died an initial death as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He died an official death as God, as the God selected substitute. He died a judicial death, a, judge, a judgment death for others. He died a sacrificial death. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. He died a criminal's death. The death of the cross. To this place. To that death. To this death Christ's journey from the skies brought him. It was shameful. The death of the cross was shameful. It was painful. It's been said that the person who was crucified died a thousand deaths. Do you recall that the Saviour, he suffered the pain intensely. He even refused to take any drug that would have dulled his senses. We read about that in Mark 15, 23. But what were his sufferings at the hands of men in comparison to his sufferings at the hand of God? For we read, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He that hung there is the accursed of God. He that is hanged is the accursed of God. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Do you see what happened there? He was made a curse for you, for your sin. It was shameful, the death of the cross. It was painful. And from the law, Satan and his hosts assailed him. And from round about him, men received scorn upon him. And from above, God dropped down the pillar of darkness, the symbol of the curse. And from within, there arose the bitter cry from the Savior, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And into this hell of Calvary, Christ descended. 
He sacrificed, he sacrificed there for you. And for me, he thinks of others not himself. He serves. He sacrifices. But finally, he glorifies the Father. Wherefore, God <coughs> also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've seen how low he stood, and now we see him rise back to his place of honor, crowned with glory in the highest throne, the great doctrinal passage is a systematic Christology, the study of Christ. Here we learn of Christ's pre-existence, his incarnation, his humiliation, his crucifixion, and now his ascension and his exaltation. Our Lord's exaltation began with his resurrection. When man placed the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the tomb, that was the last thing that man ever did with his body. From that point on, it was God who worked. Man had done their worst to the Savior. But God exalted him and honored him. Men gave him names of ridicule and slander, but the Father gives him a glorious name. Exaltation is the reward of humiliation, a principle found throughout the Scriptures. The Savior himself said this, dear child of God, he says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be a beast, but he that humbleth himself. Here's the lesson. Shall be exalted. A few steps and the Lord Jesus is back to where he properly belongs. Paul tells us that in verse 9, God also hath highly exalted him. Up from the tomb in wondrous resurrection. Up to the skies in glorious ascension. Up to the throne in illustrious session. Do you see what God thinks of the finished work of his dear son? God hath raised him to the loftiest of heights. And the words highly exalted means to exalt to the highest place, the highest honor, the highest rank, the highest power, the place of supreme majesty. That's where Christ is seated today. Christ has been raised far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. Ephesians 1.21 He has been given a name which is above every name. And what is that name? Well, of course, in biblical days, the name was very significant. It described the character of the person who bore it. There's some who think that the name that has been lifted above every name is Jesus. But the text doesn't say, at the name Jesus. Rather, it's the name that belongs to Jesus that every knee shall bow. And, every, and the name is found in verse 11, where Paul says this. Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is his full title. And he ought to be Lord of your life and mine. I wonder are you acknowledging his Lordship in every area of your life? Dr. Joyleth has said this, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If we were blessed, we must believe. We must serve him as Lord and be willing to sacrifice all things for him. 
You know, at a religious festival in Brazil, a missionary was going around from booth to booth, just examining the things that were being sold, and he saw a sign above, above one of the booths, and it said this, cheap crosses. And he thought to himself, that's what many Christians are looking for these days, cheap crosses. Our Lord's cross was not cheap. Why should ours be? Is it costing you anything to belong to him? My example is he. He thinks of others, not himself. He serves. He sacrifices. He glorifies the Father. This is the Christian's model. And here's what the incoming season of the year is all about. Let this man be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. He is the great example. Lean on him. Look to him. Learn from him. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. The price is high. Severe the test for those who would enjoy God's best. Surrender all and take the role of all who will go through with God.